0: Technology alone can't solve the challenges nonprofits face, and that's why Neon One provides software that empowers you to manage constituents, all while giving you the resources and support you need to connect to what matters most, your people and their passions. Learn more about how Neon One is helping nonprofits create stronger connections by visiting neonone.com slash good. Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast.
1: Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world.
0: We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising.
1: So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world.
0: So let's get started. Becky, what's up?
1: I will tell you what's up. My excitement level to have this conversation with this human has been growing for probably a year and a half. Community, I am. Months and I'm just so excited to introduce our community to one of the most kind and extraordinary humans, Matthew Helmer, um, who in my mind and in my career, like have known his name, have watched the way that he works. He is the OG of donor relations <laughs> and events. <laughs> and we you know, he has this long and illustrious career at Colorado State University, been there for over 20 years before making the jump. To one of our favorite companies, which is the Donor Relations Guru. And for anyone who has spent any length of time on this podcast, we adore and love Lynn Wester. She is a dear friend of ours. And when she says, This one human being, Matthew Helmer, is my unicorn, we say, Oh, we have a unicorn too. Julie is our unicorn. <laughs> what if we put our heads together and let's just have a conversation about how we can watch organizations change from the inside out? So, mm. Matthew, I'm so geeked out to have you on the podcast today. We're so excited to learn from your wisdom and your counsel. But before we dive in, I really want to talk about who Matthew is as a human being and give you just a little bit of background into his story. He's a Louisiana native, proud of Of the University of Arkansas. And he is as recognized as a talented and creative storyteller. And so I love that you come into donor relations and events through the lens as a creative storyteller. So you have put on these amazing um, award-winning events. He's led communications and donor engagement. Efforts, and he just has this incredible, unwavering commitment to continuous improvement, which, of course, this community knows is our jam as we continue to just get educated all the time and level up what we know. And his philosophy is really driven by a belief that our most successful donor relations efforts are rooted in a meaningful, well articulated purpose, and that our work can and should be guided by data informed strategy. Hard stop Holy right great. there. So we're about to have an incredible conversation here. And Matt, come into our house, share your heart and your warmth with us. We can't wait to learn from you.
2: Ah, uh, thank you. That is the most incredible warm welcome I've ever received. And like, wow, I'm I'm totally geeked out to be here. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to Pull my my geek in a little bit, <laughs> please don't <I'm> overly <laughs> excited.
1: It's great. We're going to geek out together. And, okay, I mean, great. Let's do it. You're such a sweet supporter of We Are For Good, and we thank you so much for that. But you know, we start out these conversations getting to know like who the human being is. Like, who is Matthew? What makes him tick? So, like, take us back. Take us back to where you grew up. These formative experiences you had that led you into purpose driven work.
2: Oh my gosh. Well, you know, I. um It's funny because I didn't intend... Like most of us, right? I didn't intend to have a career in fundraising and in donor relations in, in nonprofit work in general. Um, I had to answer a questionnaire recently, and it was like, what did you want to be when you grew up? And I wanted to be all of these things, but most importantly, I wanted to be a school bus driver. I loved <laughs> I love it. the atmosphere of the school bus and talking with people and engaging with people and... Um, moving from one place to another, right? It's like, it's transporting people. And so... I really think a lot of the school bus was super informative. It was not even a magic school bus. It was just, you know, a regular (laughs) yellow school bus bus going down the country roads of Louisiana, right? Like it was (laughs) was fun. But I I think also, as I've thought about this, my my family does love to party. Um, And so I was around that uh, hospitality, right? Bringing people together. We have a large family. And and then everybody in the town becomes your family. and, And there's just this extension of people and um, wanting people to engage with each with each other and create community. And so I, I grew up learning that. But how I got into events was actually through the student programming board at the University of Arkansas. And I did that because I found out that they planned concerts. And I just, I thought, well, this is my moment to I be. Mean. I wasn't going to be a rock star, but I could be around rock stars, right? <laughs> and that's, I just fell in love with, with the the magic that comes from events and the stories that we tell through those experiences and the community that we create by sharing that experience with others. And it just sort of kept going from there. And and, um, that's how I got into events. And then ultimately that took me into advancement and took me into donor relations. And that's where... The love got like really deep for me, mm-hmm. um, of being able to use those experiences for meaningful moments. There's such an incredible story to tell about the the change that's happening, the the transformative power of giving, and you know how people are connected to the mission of an organization and are able to to change the world and to do good through that organization, and I don't know, it's it's the most incredible mm. set of experiences we can have, uh, just being able to to do that, and and from events, you know, growing into communications, which was actually what I was formally trained in. Right? Um, I love that you can be formally trained in events, <laughs> and, and you can be formally trained in brewing beer. I was and, about to right, say I, anything. There's, there's all great. of these things. There's, a good class there's for all of the. I always, I I kind of wanted a degree. In um, Madonnaology, which I, I think was a like, course <laughs> offered at some institution somewhere at one point, but um, I know that you all have been talking about enneagrams lately, and I'm an enneagram three, and oh, I you achiever, I right nice see you, and mm-hmm. one of thank you, I feel seen, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> wanting everything to always be the best version that it can be, to be the best experience that it can be. And so to me that comes through hospitality or it comes through just understanding what it is people want to achieve and how can I help them achieve that? Um, And how can I actually maybe take it up a notch um, from what they envisioned that it would be? It's like an internal driver. Yeah. Oh so my gosh. There, there's a little bit of my rambling backstory.
1: I, I love your rambling an, backstory. Yeah, I was going to say human. it
0: actually like clicks and makes so so much sense, you know, and I love this creative thread that's driven you and paired that with an achiever. I mean, it's no wonder that you have done revolutionary things at the places that you've stopped through. And I want to start our conversation because I'm still picturing you in that school bus too, a little bit, and you're getting all the people (laughs) in their seats of this bus trying to, we're going to talk about organizational change, which I feel like is a big pivot from this conversation so far, but yet at the same time, it feels connected. So when you're at CSU, we heard this story that you led the reorganization back in 2010, they consolidated alumni, donors, university events, all under one umbrella. And we know that is going to be, got to be the messiest Of of situations potentially.
1: I cannot even imagine, like from our background in higher ed. (laughs) Yeah,
0: but not only was it like successful, but ultimately, you know, CSU just surpassed more than a billion dollar campaign goal early, two years ahead of schedule. So it's like, how Mm -hmm. cool that you're able to shepherd that, all those people on your school bus to do this. Take us back because I feel like you're threading your creativity. You're using novel ideas for organizational change. Unpack that with us.
2: Yeah. um, Wow. What a time. And and thank you for um, understanding the context in which we did this—it's uh, you know higher education organizations—they're large, they're complex, and uh, there's a, there's a lot to navigate and and drive the school bus around uh, yeah. the campus. I'm 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 going to stick with the school bus. All I day. love the metaphor. Keep it. Keep it. Thank it. you. <laughs> you know, I have no idea what drove me to be this way. Maybe it was my unconventional path into the field or just a passion for getting things right and making it better. Um, I'm always asking a lot of questions. Um, why? And and in particular, why not? I have this sort of, well, sure. Like, let's try that, right? And um, I really don't like the status quo. I'm really anti-status quo. Um, <laughs> there have been times in my life that I have changed things, for the sake of changing them, which is not a good reason to do it, but (laughs) sometimes it works out okay. And that was, changing things just for the sake of changing them was not what drove this. It was, you know, there were a few things happening at the time that we did this, and they just sort of collided to make this great opportunity that we were able to take advantage of. One was a series of of leadership changes in top administration, and I was already in the position of managing presidential and university events and working closely with our president, and um, who had been our provost previously. And when he came into the role, he he was asking questions: Why, if I have an events team, do I get all of this information from? all of these different places and it's in a different format and the events are different and like can you do something about that sure I don't know what I'm doing yes okay <laughs> um, we also as as is typical with an administration change there was a new VP as well and he was brought in because we were in our first campaign at the time at Colorado State and it was not going well um, and a question that he was asking all of our fundraisers is why are you not meeting goals? And the number one answer was we spend all of this time planning events and doing events. And it takes us away from, from our focus on relationships with major gift owners. Mm. So he came to me and said, here's a problem. Do you have a solution for this? Can, can you all do something about this? We have an events team. And again, I'm like, sure, I, right? I don't know. Try stuff, work it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so what we I'm, do. I'm, Yeah, I'm being asked as a leader of the events team, what are the ideas to solve these challenges, right? So centralized events management in higher education was pretty rare at that time. So I'm looking out for, I'm like calling peers and trying to figure out um, who's doing this and who's doing it well. Um, USC had a good program at that time and we went and visited them and talked with them about it. But, But I'm just, I don't know, naive, optimistic, uh, overconfident at times perhaps. And, um, crazy. Like one of my team members called me and, and I, I said, sure, let's do this. We can do this because it's going to elevate the experience across the board. It's going to make it the best version that it can be. Did I know how? Absolutely not. Um, and I've had a lot of that in my life, not really knowing how, but I can bring people, um, In who can create the how right who have different strengths and and so we did it it was not easy we did a whole lot of things wrong before we did them right
1: thank you for saying that it makes us all feel better that it's a messy
2: journey it was such a messy journey and um building trust with people was such an important part of that journey. And um, every time we made a mistake, we just had to own up to it and try to get in front of it and then fix it. Um, And, you know, it was one of a few significant changes that we made in the organization that helped us get our shop on the right path. And we did finish that campaign early and above goal. And then and then we did the second one right after that. And, and the one you were just referring to, John, and, and, um, early and above goal again. And, you know, there's a part of me that likes to think it's, it's all because of our centralized events program, right? And the experiences <laughs> we're creating for donors. But I think more importantly, it opened up communication and collaboration across advancement. We mm-hmm. created a lot of efficiencies around the mechanics of production, but in order for us to truly capture the heart, of these events to truly understand and reflect the purpose. We had to get to know the development teams. We had to get to know the culture um, in those decentralized, complex environments. We had to get to know the donors that they worked most closely with. Um, So really, it, it ultimately ended up being a great team builder. And then most importantly, created that consistency in the donor experience, offering them just more reliability about what to expect from this university whose mission they believe in and and want to be a part of.
1: Well, bravo to you because it's it's such a bold move. And when you try things that have never been done before, you know, within your organization, they're just huge leaps of faith. And I want to commend you for raising the flag to your leadership and saying, if you want all these events in these silos, donor engagement is going to suffer. And that is the great impetus for how we rise, how we gather, how everything in a campaign, not just in a campaign, but in a culture moves. Thank you for talking about culture. And I, I know we talked about, you know, the, the outcome that we're all supposed to talk about, which is the dollar amount. You got there early and you raised it, but like, talk to me about the change that that led to your team. Like, what did that do to change the culture of how you all piggyback on each other's work, the way that you uplift and collaborate and communicate? I'm just really curious about that.
2: Yeah. Again, not easy to to change things. And and we had some difficult conversations internally. Um, There were power struggles at times. Um, There were misunderstandings more than anything. And that always comes back to... um, a, a lack of communication or um, just miscommunicating sometimes, and we had to just put a pause. It was a, it was a heavy volume, right? There's a lot. At one point, we were doing more than 300 events a year.
1: Oh my gosh! I know Three, zero and, zero. <laughs> Matthew, do you know about me and events? Like, I am so fatigued by fundraising events, even though I know we need them. Mm-hmm. I cannot even imagine.
2: Oh, I mean, it, it burned people out for sure. Because we didn't have the infrastructure. We didn't have the processes. We didn't have enough people to manage that volume. And, um, you know, that, that is what triggered the conversation for us around purpose and, and having purpose-driven events. Um, so that was a big cultural outcome. But when I think about how we got to that, it was more about slowing down and having conversations and getting to know one another as as people and having respect for the different expertise and the the value that each person could add to the conversation around the table, right? We didn't necessarily know what it, takes to do major gift fundraising and our major gift fundraisers didn't necessarily know what it took to to create an elevated donor experience for folks but working together having conversations about what are we trying to achieve and what's the best way to get there how do we um bring forth uh, our our various experiences to this problem that helped us um To be able to do it, first of all, and then the sort of unexpected outcome of that is just greater um, communication, even when you're not working on an actual event and a project and this deadline-driven thing. It it created these connections amongst the larger advancement team that helped us. And and I'm, I'm talking specifically about development teams and events because we had to focus a lot there but the only way we were able to elevate the different pieces that took a that took a whole village we needed our it folks to help us create the infrastructure to make online registration possible you know things that we can take for granted now that we weren't taking for granted in 2010 and um you know it it, we, we had to work a lot with the finance team because we're working with budgets from across the university, not just in one place. So lots of different conversations were spurred by this one action of centralizing this program that helped our team, and I think by extension teams across um, the division and, and across campus, better understand one another and the types of challenges we were facing um, and understand most importantly that we were all working toward the same goal Yeah, and that's powerful mm. I mean I love
0: I love several things that you said but I want to lift and kind of take this next chapter talking about this idea of purpose driven events because we've all been part of shops if you've been in development long that you're at the event thinking why are we doing this you know And especially if you're working across silos, if you're trying to bring people together, like a unified purpose where the goal is really clear, changes things. And I want to just give you the runway to talk about, you know, what's your philosophy? I know you've got a lot of using events to bring engagements that are experience-based and meaningful, but how do you center that in purpose and just kind of, you know, share your heart on that?
2: Yeah, I um I could talk about this all day really I <laughs> I mean I've I've always approached the work with curiosity and I think partially it's because I'm I'm easily distracted right and I, if I don't understand why I'm doing something then I more easily lose interest and uh, you know like you said John we've been we've all been in that Space. Where we're like, why are we doing this? Right? We're we're planning it and going, why are we doing this? And then mm-hmm. certainly when we show up, and and if we're asking that, our guests and our donors, they're asking that too when when we're there. So, the quest was enhanced when we centralized events because um, because we kept finding ourselves in that situation. Why are we doing this? What does it even matter? And so we we set out to define purpose, right, Um, for everything that we were doing. And I was, you know, this was a conversation with the people, the partners that we were working with, um, because a lot of them had been doing these events for decades, right? And um, the, the... I was surprised at how much the answer was, we've always done it this way.
1: Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> we need to take that it's phrase rampant. and just oh. take it out back with our yes. bat and yes. kill it, please, please.
2: <laughs> and I, I, as I've shared, I mean, the status quo is not for me. I, I mean, it just, <laughs> and it shouldn't be for, for all of us. And it doesn't serve the donor experience ultimately. When I think about it, the whole point of advancement is progression it's in the name advancement right mm-hmm. we're moving the organization forward toward achieving its mission so why should our events get stuck in the past in this obligation and when that happens what we were finding even though i had um you know just a stellar team they could knock anything out of the park and would amaze me every day but we would also end up at the end of some of these events going Well, that was great, but it also felt soulless, right? Mm. Like it just lacked meaning. And I think that the first conversation we have to have about events is not when and where and who are we going to invite and what food are we going to serve. All of those things will, will fall into place right? Well, they won't fall into place. Someone's got to be actively making those decisions. I, right. I don't want to undermine my profession here. Um, <laughs> but a meaningful experience starts with asking and answering that question, why are we doing it? What do we hope to achieve? What do our donors care about? And what do we want them to care about by going through this experience? And we have to answer those questions before we jump into the how. And That really, to me, is the foundation for creating experiences that are not only meaningful to the donors, but they're of strategic value to our organizations. And once we started having that conversation, by the way, that list of more than 300 dropped to closer to 200 because we were Mm. able to say, if there's no meaningful purpose, we're going to stop doing it. And that's a big culture shift as well.
1: Okay. I just had like a a mind explosion here in what you just said, because what you're saying, at least in the way I'm interpreting, is we work so hard in nonprofit to define our why. Like, what is that case for support? We work so hard on the goal and the vision. I don't know that we do that with events we they're so transactional you know and and i don't and i don't want to put everybody in a box cuz there are many that are wonderful and they are not that but i i love this heady philosophy that you have i believe in it and i'm just really curious cuz i want to visualize it cuz i think the event experience like tell me about an event like, it, it, tell us about the details where you felt like you saw the shift, where it was different. What was that event, and what was the turning point that you thought, okay, this is different, and now we have a soul in this event?
2: Oh, oh, okay, you're you're taxing my memory now.
1: I'm like, oh, Maybe, here's a whammy so out of left this. field.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but you're so right. We we aren't used to asking those questions, and to to approaching events like this and it it doesn't seem to line up with what we're doing overall and what's interesting is that as much as i love events and creating experiences i will be the first person to raise my hand and say this no longer needs to exist and it needs to go away right because i want everything that we do to have that meaning and to um to really move people forward on their journey. That's the reason for having events. It's not to gather people or because we've always done it or because it's really fun. Of course, it's going to be fun. But it's because we want to strengthen their their connection to us. We want to showcase the impact that they are having. For me, I think one of the best examples of bringing this to life was actually that second campaign that I was referring to, the launch of that campaign. So we were six years into centralized events at that point. So we had worked out many of the kinks. We had um, retired is the polite word. The experiences sunset? that- Sunset?
1: We- yes, sunset. <laughs> That's what sunset. we used to call it. <laughs> it seems more gentle. Because people are like convicted about their events. They do not want them to go away.
2: They don't. Well, especially internally, I find more than externally. When we you know, the donors will go along with us as long as we're listening to them and taking them on a a meaningful journey. They're here for it. They're showing up for it. And that second campaign launch just had all of the pieces clicking. We had environmental messaging. We were bringing technology into play. We were creating experiential stations where donors could get involved in the impact that they were making, right? So we were able to take... Um, even the, the results of the first campaign, what was created and bring it to life at this one and say, you know, imagine with us what we can do now as we elevate and move forward. And so, um, that I think was a place where purpose came to life. And it, it's important to me that purpose comes to life through the entire story of the event so that environment um the the messaging that they're hearing through the reception and in their interactions with staff and students and um and then also what happens on the in the program from you know those who speak in the video so it's it's woven throughout it's a thread that is constantly reinforced and that was a place where I felt like the execution of telling that story, why this campaign, why now, why are we doubling the goal, um, why are we moving into it so quickly? And it's because the need is greater than ever, The um, what you've already done is changing lives, and think about how we can do that even more powerfully moving forward. The name of that second campaign, by the way, was State Your Purpose. So, And I had nothing to do with that, though I was a big fan.
1: Love <laughs> that name. Yeah, right?
2: I mean,
0: I, I love centering this because, I mean, Becky and I are thinking through the, some of the big events we get to be part of. And, you know, we had this example where we were working with this big consulting firm that they drafted on paper that would have been the most epic event in history. You know, from an opera singer on stage or a Broadway singer to everything to the a
1: thousand-person, multi-course sit-down meal. Ooh, like right. I know, I'm almost vomiting in my mouth.
0: But it didn't happen. For a long story, for a different day. But like when <laughs> we had to take it back, when it wasn't going to happen that way, we built it like from a grassroots standpoint. We centered the room around students and the heart of campus. It was just like it had a soul. And we're chatting via text because we're like, oh my gosh, this is why that was so different because it actually had this grounded purpose and soul and kind of the lived experience that made it Better and stronger and more relevant. So I just I'm having this awakening to all of his listening points. to you. <laughs> yeah, me too.
1: <laughs> because we even did tech. Do you remember that? Like we live streamed the event because yeah. we were like, why should the thousand yeah. most, you know, wealthy donors and influential people sit in a in an arena for dinner and talk about this vision when we want everybody. To be a part of the vision, and I feel yeah. like that's what you're saying is when you take the vision up, when you make it accessible, when you democratize it, donors are going to be magnetic to that idea. I, I just commend you. I think it's wonderful.
2: Well, thank you, and I I just agree with you. Like we can we can razzle dazzle people all day long, <laughs> um, but if it doesn't connect back. And serve the purpose of why we're there. To me, get rid of it. There's this great concept out of Disney about, um, <laughs> harmonizing, um, impressions with positive cues and eliminating, Negative impressions, right? So things that are detracting from the main message. And this, this happens in events. We are creative people and we have all of these ideas and we saw this really cool, flashy thing over here and we want to bring it into the event where we have the budget to do it. And purpose helps center and ground us in, you know, what's going to be, that's nice, but it, it isn't telling the story. It isn't reinforcing. And at the heart of it, When it comes to a university it is about the students and the experience that they're having and the way that they are going to change the world and our donors understand that and are supporting that so how do we show that to them every single time they're engaging with us
0: hey friends taking a pause from this feel-good conversation to share a quick story Hope in a Future is a nonprofit that serves children in the Arizona foster care system. Last year, they wanted to grow donations during Giving Tuesday. The only problem? Giving Tuesday was only one day away. Determined to seize the opportunity, they reached out to our friends at Feather. With help from Feather Services, Hope in a Future managed to launch a complete advertising campaign just in time. As a direct result, they raised more than $500 on Giving Tuesday. But that was just the beginning. Hope in the Future decided to follow up with an additional retargeting campaigns designed to increase donations and re-engage previous donors. They raised over $32,000 with just a $4,000 ad spend. Nonprofits of all shapes and sizes are turning to Feather to grow their campaigns with targeted digital ad tools that reach people whenever and wherever they're online. Use Feather to grow your year-end fundraisers. Learn more about their solutions for nonprofits at feather.co. That's feather without the last e.co. Well, I know we would just vibe with you on storytelling and experience all day, but for those listening that are ready for us to round this out with this backbone of data that I know you also love to using a data informed strategy, how do you incorporate that and in the metrics into the planning process of these events?
2: Yeah, in, in terms of planning events, there's a lot that we can look at, right? Um, don't just invite everyone in your database, first of all. Like, let's be strategic with who the event is for. And um, to your point, Becky, um, think about most of us have like a 20% return on invitations or or less, right, that we're going to get a positive response. So why do we toss out the other 80% or so and just forget about their experience? They were important enough to be invited and then they can't come to something that, you know, we made all the decisions about? um, And how do we extend that to them, right? And um, make it have meaning for them? What do we know about the donors and their behaviors with our organization? How and when do they give? Where do they give? Um, Do they even attend events? Do they read our communications? Those kinds of things can help us in the planning process. Number one, determine if an event is the right thing to do, and number two, start to shape the story of okay, where do we need to focus our efforts on on impact? Can we um, create themes because um, you know there's there's a great story to be told here in this area, and we have a audience of donors who are giving to this one area, and connecting them around the fact that they care about this. Area And they care about supporting um, change through this part of of our university rather than gathering them because they gave a certain amount, right, which has historically been what we do. And then they have nothing in common except for, you know, the checks that they wrote, which is like, what is that? That's nothing, right? That doesn't tell a powerful story. The powerful stories are in what they're connected with i Mm. also think that the follow-up is the most important part of an event
1: preach keep going i
2: love this yeah keep going here keep going (laughs) if we have a meaningful purpose how will we know we achieved it so we have to set outcomes so that we can measure in and measure those and we have to do that up front before we start planning If the goal was to recognize donors, which a lot of us do events, to recognize donors, we need to understand if they feel the recognition was meaningful once we're done. So we're not achieving the goal by just having the event and recognizing them. Did it matter to them, right? Did they feel it was meaningful? Did it inspire them to give again? Do they understand the difference that they're, they're giving made in our organization. So to me, it starts by asking donors for their feedback on events and how well we measured up to that and not asking about the food and the decor and the entertainment. And all of those are going to change the next time you do this anyway. So and you're going to already
0: get that feedback.
2: <laughs> That's yeah, crazy. they're going to tell you that before <laughs> they, they leave,
0: especially if it's
2: bad. Yeah. You know, I think we need to ask questions like, did this experience teach you something new about the organization? Mm. Did it demonstrate the impact of your giving? Did it strengthen your connection to the organization? Did, did it inspire you? These are more meaningful outcomes of an event experience and ones we can measure. Um, and then we can also look at the data, right? Like who actually participated? What do we know about them? Was it was it actually who we wanted to participate in this? Um, What happened with them after the event? Again, the follow-up is the most important part. So were they contacted by anyone else at the organization, development officers in particular? Did they give in a certain amount of time after that experience? Did they attend more events? Did they stop coming altogether? There's, There's behaviors that we're tracking and recording through our database anyway, so why not look at them and help them shape not just the event, That happened, like it it informs what happened. Um, It tells us how we did, but really it helps shape what comes next and how do we make changes that are gonna better respond to these donors.
1: That may have been one of the greatest event pro tips I've ever heard. And (laughs) I wanna tell everybody why I think so, because we've said this many times on the podcast an event is not just an event. And if you think of it as a singular um, variable, or a key metric, then you're missing out on 98% of the potential of what you could do with it. And we talked about this a lot when we went through our Impact Arc series, you know, that there is there is a runway to lead up to the event. And then you have the event. And then perhaps the longest runway is post event and getting that immediate feedback and doing it every single time, not only does it help you sharpen what you're doing, it's an engagement tool. You're telling somebody, I care about what you think and feel and how we interact with you. Third, it is the greatest cultivation tool ever. You could literally put a blank comment section in there. Like, what did you love most about it? And your donor relations team can write a thank you note based on that. You know, what do you love most about our university? A gift officer can take that follow up and ask for that story. There are so many intersections for other people to come into the event besides the event team and the donor relations team. And I just think what you said was so brilliant. And I would put that in your toolbox, nonprofit friends, for every event that you're going to do. And it doesn't even have to be long. I think that could be like four questions, maybe five questions. It's great.
2: Yeah, well, the survey should be short, right? And it should Mm -hmm. be the same questions, you know? Leave a little flexibility. There's probably one question you want to ask that's specific about that event. But, like, let's see, you know, what people are thinking about these experiences over and over and over again. That's another Mm -hmm. data point to look at, too. How many people are attending... um, every event you plan right like what's your turnover rate in in a, that can help you with the number of events you have too there's there's so many points of so data much. that we can use with this yeah. and and I'm over here like nodding my head as you're talking about
1: like just <laughs> so preach I'm preach I'm like yes. geeking out cuz I really think even if you have virtual components you already have people that are prone to talk to you digitally you know so yes. which is so great okay we could talk about this forever but I want to talk about something that I think is the secret sauce of you and what I think is the secret sauce of this moment right now. We talk about this all the time on the podcast, specifically in regard to storytelling. But the moment is so rife for authenticity. For vulnerability, for finding like what you're so good at, and 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 making sure that you lift that so it can be a magnet to others, you have that in spades, my friend. You are one of the most vulnerable, authentic human beings. You wrote this incredible article um, about the, about the keys to unlocking your unicorn sparkle, which is just <laughs> one of the greatest <laughs> ways to talk about <laughs> the innate thing that's inside all of us that rare star quality and how do we unleash it for the world to see? So I want you to talk a little bit about what prompted that and like, what does it mean to kind of release that inner unicorn in all of us?
2: Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, for me, I just, I so appreciate you um, providing me with that feedback and it can oh. be hard for me to hear because I, I think as an Enneagram three, um, as you all have heard, like we wear masks right in each situation in order to be successful in each situation. And that resonates with me when I, I heard that. And, um, but I've lately, especially been on this journey of, um, discovering my own vulnerability and authenticity and thinking, how do I show up with that, Every day and in every space, and and do less masking. I, I think there are many ways of saying this that we have in our lexicon, right? Like being your authentic self, letting your freak flag fly, right? <laughs> Just, um, Beyonce has a new song about it. Cozy, being comfortable in your own skin, right? It's for me. It is about becoming the person I was always meant to be, and letting that person show up in all situations. It is the opposite of conformity mm. Mm. and i think that that has become an issue for us in in society in our workplaces and communities the pressure to conform to be like someone else in order to succeed and i'm i'm not talking about like our societal expectations or our social contracts really it, i don't think it's okay to say i'm just being me so i'm not apologizing for oppressing you right like that's not to me, the, the greatness of authenticity. It's more about just embracing rather than repressing those things that make us different and unique. Mm. I, I grew up gay in a religious family in the South, okay? So let that sink in for a moment, right? And the last thing I wanted to be was different. I tried mm-hmm. so hard to be like others, but I wasn't, and I couldn't be, and I'm not. And my background and my experiences are unique to me. I have a lot of similarities with other people, but I'm the only one that's experienced everything that I've experienced cumulatively on this planet, and every single one of us are like that. Mm-hmm. So the more I've I've leaned into what makes me different rather than what makes me the same, the stronger my contributions have become to my workplace, to my community, to my family. And we all have this. We all have aspects of ourselves that we just need to discover and leverage them because it's freeing and it benefits the world and others around us.
0: I mean, that was so beautifully said. And you know, we've been in Denver the last few days reflecting on a lot of founders that are channeling their painful stories of lived experience sometimes or things that people would often uncover. And like, we've been moved this week and I appreciate you being so vulnerable and raw here with us too, because it's it's not a scarlet letter. It's like a superpower. And you have an ability to see people and to change and make a trajectory that's different because of that. And so I think you inspiring people to do that is a really powerful positioning that we can all step into in our own situations and stories. So I appreciate you going there. I know why you're the unicorn on the team. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> absolutely you just reinforced it and i want to find little matthew in louisiana and just like grab his hand and tell him he's so special and unique and gifted and what he has and to keep rocking it so in the same way i want to grab little becky's hand and tell her that too that yeah. she's struggling through her issues so thank you for being so vulnerable
2: yeah thank you thank you both and and um we all need to do that right find mm-hmm. that Little version of us, and and let them know that it's going to be okay, and that it's okay to be who we are, and and mm. to lean into that um, because it's it it is what helps us shine, and mm. uh, we all we all deserve the chance to shine, and we all owe it to one another to give space for each other to shine. Mm. That part mm. is important too.
1: Ugh.
2: I feel the sparkle.
1: So, I, feel that. <laughs> I <do. laughs>
0: So I mean, I feel this through our conversation, but you, you know, you've gotten to navigate your career alongside philanthropy and I know you believe in the power of it. What's a story that has happened to you that's about philanthropy that's really stuck with you even though you've experienced so much in your journey?
2: Well, I've, I've been in the business for a couple of decades, right? And right. and when you're in the donor experience side of things, um you get to see a lot. There are there are so many moments of incredible generosity that have transformed lives. Um and it's always inspiring to be a part of that. And for me, it's the small acts that can be really deeply moving and Ultimately, I I don't think of philanthropy as multi-million dollar gifts. I, I think of it as that Greek definition, the love of humanity, that love of humankind. Um, there's a, there's a moment actually involving little Matthew, right? Um, from my childhood where I realized the power and importance of, of love of humankind. You know, I'm, I'm only a generation or so. Removed from poverty. And I, as a kid, spent a lot of time with my grandparents and they had very little in terms of um, material wealth. And when I was younger, my um, older sister and I, we would spend every summer with my grandparents and we would work right alongside them in the garden, at the sawmill, with the animals on the farm. Like we were doing it all, right? And I, idolized my grandmother and she she was a formidable woman y'all she was the youngest of 13 she raised six children she was six feet tall she had little interest in nonsense and i i'm i'm a free spirit creative daydreamer so she had a firm hand and i i benefited from that as a as a child. So but I was always just attached to my grandmother and not her hip. And one of my favorite activities that we would do together is go to the grocery store. Um and I think I loved it because there was always hope that I might get like a push up or something, like a, a little bit of ice cream. Um, but It was probably also because you know it was Louisiana in the summer, and it's like the grocery store is air conditioned. So like let's (laughs) let's do this. I'm in.
1: We're from Oklahoma. We get it. (laughs) You totally get it, right? (laughs) It's hot,
2: y'all. It's it's intense. Um, One day, coming back from the grocery store, we we just took a different route home, and um, we stopped at a place that I had never been. My grandfather, my grandmother, got out and. Um, told me to grab this bag of groceries and and go with her. and um, the person answered the door and and we gave the bag of groceries to the person. I'd never seen this person before, and I'm thinking, I don't know where we are. I don't know who this person is. and then we you know, we didn't stay long. we left. we were back in the car, and I'm like, why don't we just give our groceries away? Like we just went grocery shopping and now we've given it away. and um, I was old enough to understand that that grocery store food was... A luxury, right? It was not to be wasted. And she told me simply because they needed it more than we do. Mm-hmm. And she went mm-hmm. on to share that this family had um, recently lost everything they own in a house fire. And there wasn't a whole lot that we could offer, but we could provide them with a bag of groceries. And that, that stuck with me because we may not be able to solve the entire problem, right? But we can make a contribution that matters and we can make a difference in someone else's life. And that is the root and I think the purpose of, of what we call philanthropy.
1: Uh, I mean, that is a wow. perfect story that just mm. speaks to who you are as a human. And I think that you just show up in ways through your service where you're handing groceries to others. I I see that. And I feel that so much in your work. And I think that's such a great challenge to all of us. Um, Because if we can all just give a little bit more um, in any way that we can. And I think just in philanthropy, we talk so much about the financial part of it. And and to your point, it's not that. Everybody has their sparkle and their gifts to give, you know, whether it's your network, whether it's, you know, something that you can do with your time or something that you already have. So another great reminder of why you are the unicorn and why you sparkle so much. So, you know, we end all of our conversations, Matthew, with one good thing. It could be a life hack, a quote, a mantra. What would you share with our community?
2: Okay. I know this is going to sound a little trite coming from the donor relations guy, but (laughs) can't wait. My life hack is gratitude.
0: Mm. Mm.
2: It is the great reset. It grounds me in, in my why. It helps me recenter when things are off kilter. And I, I think it's especially important when I'm having a quote unquote bad day. Right there. There's always something to be grateful for. There's a lot to be grateful for, and it doesn't have to be a big gesture. It can be small things, and and it could be expressing it to myself. Um, certainly, I love expressing it to others, um, but even just stopping and, and meditating in the moment, it, it will gratitude offers me hope, and it helps me assume best intent with others. It changes my mood it changes my body there act there is yeah i'm no scientist y'all but there is a physical <laughs> response to expressing gratitude um and it i've seen it lift teams and organizations as well and and i think as much as we try to practice anything innovation collaboration we have to practice gratitude because it It changes the world. I mean,
0: that was, that was brilliant. And of course we should be threading that through our teams that live on the front lines of, of getting to be part of people's um, own generosity stories. So I'm, I've got a full heart here. I'm wondering how can people connect with you, Matthew? Where do you show up online? Point us to the DRG group and the ways you're serving there too.
2: Well, I, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, the DX unicorn, so come find me on LinkedIn. I, I'm trying to be a little more active, <laughs> but uh, you know, failing miserably at that. But um, my my email, Matthew at DonorRelationsGuru I love hearing from people. I'm a people person, and I'm working fully remote now. So um, you know, my family would appreciate if if I had other people to interact with. <laughs>
1: You are such an Enneagram three, which by the way, is mine and Julie are unicorns wings. So we get you. Oh,
2: thank you. It's, I love being seen like that. Mm-hmm. And I know John, you're a peacemaker, right? I am. Mm-hmm. I love keeping the peace. <laughs> yes, which I I totally relate. I'm a middle child, so I same I can't wing nine, but, <laughs> but it's something's there. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, guys, please go check changing. out. Like, go connect with Matt on LinkedIn. Please check out DonorRelationsGuru.com. dot com. They have unbelievable resources. I will and tell you, I library. purge and steal from them oh all the time. Oh, yes, do. the resource library is absolutely fantastic. The trainings are evolved. There is a reason we look to this company as our North Star when we think about donor engagement. So come meet Matt. You'll understand why we love him so dearly. And thank you so much for this evolved conversation and just to spend some time in your orbit is just a gift.
2: Oh, thank you both for having me in this wonderful conversation that of course I don't want to end, um, because I'm enneagraming three right now and I'm just (laughs) loving our, our conversation and, um, such a big fan of the work that you do. So, um, thanks for, for having me here today and, and for having this conversation. It was meaningful.
1: Yeah. Good for us too. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Appreciate you, man.